0: Good morning, church family. It's a joy to be in God's house with you this morning. And it is time to worship the Lord. So please begin to come forward. Find your seats um, and stand with us. We're going to begin by singing Holy, Holy, Holy. And this chorus... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty comes from Revelation chapter 4. In verse 6 it says, And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So these angelic creatures, full of eyes around and within on all sides, on all sides of the throne of God, they have a front row view to the glory of God. They can see clearly they're near His throne, and the response is to just never cease to proclaim the holiness of God. So it would be my prayer that as we worship the Lord, that He would allow us to see Him clearly so that we can worship Him for who He is. Join with us singing, Holy, Holy, Holy.
1: Church or Ambassador Bible Fellowship. It is great to be with you at the start of fall. Uh, Megan and I, we absolutely love fall. We love uh, the changing of colors and the leaves. We love, actually like the cold weather. I love football. Megan likes pumpkin spice lattes. There's a lot of great things to love about fall. And there's a lot of great things to be excited about for this fall when it comes to the events that we're having here at church. And so uh, I'm going to encourage you guys. If you grabbed the bulletin when you came in, go in and open that up with me. And those of you that are uh, at home watching that live stream, you can actually go to our website and there is a link there on our homepage to be able to view the bulletin. So some really exciting things to share with you. The first one right there when you flip the first page on the left, there's a section there that talks about Ambassador Kids and our children's ministry is back, everybody. It's been a long time. Amen. (laughs) Amen. It's been uh, it's been shut down ever since the start of COVID, and so it starts today. And so, if you look there, there's going to be a, a description of some of the ministers we have available for our, our ambassador kids. We actually have a a cry room, infant cry room, over there at the ABF office building. That mothers, you guys, uh, you can go there, and I believe there is uh, the ability to watch it live stream there. If I'm correct. If not, pull up your phone, check it out on our website. Again, you can go to the live stream there. But that is a resource available to you mothers to feed your children, uh, just to let them play. while while Hopefully you can not be distracted and and focus on the the message today and worshiping the Lord. Uh, We have our our toddler room back, and you'll see there that's for walking toddlers through ages 2. Uh, and so all at the ABF office building, our pre-K class is there as well. And, and mothers, uh, you can go and check in your children there. There's a doorbell that you can ring so that somebody will come over and greet you. And then last little ministry there with our ambassador kids is uh, our uh, here on the second floor of this building. So right when you walk out that, that door right there, there's a, a set of stairs you walk up. And that's for our elementary class students and uh, for those students, they actually get to participate with us during the singing of songs to the Lord. And uh, Seth is going to actually dismiss them today, and that's when they'll go line up near the door to head on to their classroom. So we
2: are, we're so thankful
1: that this ministry is back up and running. I know our kids love uh, learning about God and just uh, enjoying maybe some games with uh, with our leaders there. But with the uh, introduction, again, of our ambassador kids, of our children's ministry, there is a great need there for volunteers, and so uh, I encourage you, if you have a heart for children or or mothers, fathers, uh, if if you're using that ministry, uh, check in with uh, Marissa Stephenson just for opportunities to serve there and volunteer maybe once a month or once every two months, so uh, just... Again, so excited that that is back and running. If you now look to the right, uh, you're going to see some of our other announcements. The equipping hour, that happens every, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. We're going through a series right now on how people change, and it's being taught by, by Pastor Bruce back there. And, uh, man, it's been an encourage- encouragement to my heart just to discover uh, again, the desires and the motivations of my heart And that's the thing that really needs to change It's not the outside behavior Those change when the heart changes And so, if, uh, if you haven't been attending that I just encourage you to join I know getting up early can, can be rough And so, uh, you also have the live stream available For the equipping hour And, if you didn't make it Don't worry, don't walk in shame If you didn't make it this morning We actually have it recorded It's on our YouTube page And so, if you want to catch up you can go to our, our, uh, our channel there on YouTube. After, or moving on from the equipping hour, today we have a church picnic. Did you guys know that? Who knew that? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Did you prepare your lunch? Oh, some of you did. Megan and I totally didn't. So we're going to run probably to McDonald's or something afterwards and bring a lunch here. But we just want to encourage you guys, stick around after the service today for a church picnic. We're going, to out. we're going to be hanging out right here. I think we're going to have some volleyball, and it's just going to be a great time to fellowship. So if you do need to run like Megan and I, go ahead. Run, grab something quick, come on back, and let's hang out for a little while. Beyond today, though, there are a lot of other things coming up in the fall. I will say this. Small groups have already started, and you can see a list of small groups that you can uh, look to attend at the very back of your Your bulletin. I guess not the very, very back, but the second to last page there. And there's a list of uh, small groups you guys can join. I just encourage you to glance at that. We had our first meetup just this last week, and I am probably one of the best things, one of the things that really encouraged my heart and has helped me grow in my faith has been small groups. And uh, But as we keep looking here, a couple other things I want to make sure you guys are aware of. We have a, a chance to participate in a counseling conference this month, or it starts this month. It's a conference on how to disciple and counsel from Scripture. It's a really a, a uh, three weekends, I guess, of uh, of, uh, of training and teaching. And so you're gonna to want to look there. It's a 30 hour course. First session starts Friday, September 25th. It goes through Saturday, t- uh, the 26th. And uh, you don't want to miss out on that. I, I had the privilege of participating in that. I think it was last year, if I remember. And uh, Megan and I were just really blessed just to kind of fill our toolbox with uh, different tools to help us grow, but then help shepherd other people. So strongly encourage you to look at that, to register. It's actually not here. It's at Meridian uh, Baptist Church or Meridian First Baptist Church. And there is a a little uh, a link on your bulletin, so you can look that up and go register online. And then, as you look down further, it says, mark your calendar. We're going to be celebrating three years here at uh, Ambassador Bible Fellowship. It's crazy. Megan and I have been here for two years. I can't believe two years has flown by. So that's, uh, that's going to be Sunday, September 20th. Come join us as we just reflect on all the great things God has done through this ministry. And then, October 17th, Men's breakfast. How many of you guys like bacon? Men, I'm talking to you since this is a men's breakfast. I see you, Michael. Good job. Men's breakfast. It's going to have bacon. We're going to have eggs. We're going to have fellowship. And we're going to be going over, I think it's the biblical fatherhood, some principles about being a good father. So I know that's in October. We're just hitting September. But put it on your calendar because I know the fall kind of fills up quick. Last but not least... I want to invite you guys to join us in our Bible reading plan here at ambassador Bible fellowship We we just like to jump into a passage together really a book together and for this month of September It's first John. I I got a head start and I've already been blessed in just reading the first few chapters uh, But it just it creates a, an environment where we come together and we have something to talk about and it's regarding God's word and so just uh Maybe keep that part of the bulletin with you uh, in your Bible, so that you know where we are reading as a church. And so that there, there you have it. There's our announcements. Uh, I do before we pray and we jump back into song. I do want to give kind of a housekeeping item here, and that's uh, parents. I'm addressing you, families, mom and dads. I'm addressing you. Um, we just want you to be aware that on the north side of the campus during the during the picnic time, really just during the worship service. Uh, as, your, as your kids are running around at times, just be mindful. There is a irrigation canal over there that is open, and we really want to keep our kiddos safe here. So mom and dads, just keep a close eye on your kids. Uh, maybe, maybe that area should be off limits. But uh, we are looking forward to having just fellowship after the service during our picnic time. But for now, let's get back to worshiping our Lord. So bow your heads and close your eyes as I as I pray real quick. God, we're so grateful to come together as a family again, uh, to study your word, to be reminded in song of, man, of all the great things you have done, of your amazing character and your, uh, just unfathomable love for us, God. And, uh, I just pray that, uh, in this time, Lord, you would just prepare our hearts to worship you and to learn from your word, God. Um. Be glorified in this service and be glorified in our fellowship after, uh, during our picnic, God. Uh, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Please stand with us and continue to worship as we sing in Christ alone.
3: Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied for every sin.
0: As we prepare to sing Behold Our God, I want to read to us from Psalm 113. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations in his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of her children. Praise the Lord.
2: on the first of the month, we have the privilege to partake of communion together as a church family. And what I'd like to do is, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting with verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. As we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I wanted to just highlight two key points that are in this passage. The first one is that the ultimate purpose for our Heavenly Father sending His Son, Jesus, to earth was not to just simply live a sinless life, which we couldn't. It was not just to be a substitute to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross by offering up His life as a sacrifice for ours. It wasn't just to offer to forgive all our sins against God. It wasn't just to give us eternal life. It wasn't to overcome the power of death by rising from the dead. Actually, all those things were done for one purpose. And that was to reconcile us back to the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. Reconciliation was the goal. The others were the means. Second point. The Father has given every believer the same ministry of reconciliation. As his ambassadors, we're to share his message of reconciliation that was accomplished through his son Jesus. We're not only to implore all of our family, friends, and neighbors to reconcile with God, but here's the key. It says in this passage that we're also to model the ministry of reconciliation. According to John 3:35, it says unbelievers will know that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another, which requires an ongoing lifestyle of reconciliation. So that leads me to three questions. And these are three questions that I encourage each of us to answer before taking of the Lord's Supper tonight, this morning, based upon what we just read. First question, are you reconciled with God through His Son this morning? Are you reconciled to God through His Son? Are you a Christian have you really surrendered your heart to His Lordship? It says in Hebrews, quoting what happened in the Old Testament, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Or as a believer, is there sin in your life that needs to be repented of or forsaken? Because it's caused your walk with Christ to become estranged. You need to be reconciled to your heavenly Father. 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second question, are you reconciled with everyone God has placed in your life? Is there someone you need to forgive? Ephesians says, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you? Or is there someone who has something against you? See, Jesus had this to say, if this is true. Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're about to have communion, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The Apostle Paul said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Third question. Before God and others, are you able to partake of the elements this morning with a clear conscience? The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, he admonished them with these words, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body He eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Three questions. Are you reconciled with the Father? Are you reconciled with everybody God has placed in your life? And can you take the elements this morning with a clear conscience? Because of coronavirus, uh, we're not passing out plates this morning, but we have a time for you to be able to come and get the elements that are at the tables on the two sides up front. And the participation this morning of the Lord's table is intended for Christians only. And we would ask that uh, those who have been baptized as a demonstration of their faith would participate with us. Feel free if you're visiting and a believer who's been baptized, we'd love for you to join us. After the elements are in hand, we will take them together and uh, in the meantime, uh, Natasha this morning will, will play for us. But I encourage, as you get the elements this morning, ask yourself those three questions. And can you answer them as the Lord would want in judging yourself that you're worthy, you're ready to take of communion with him this morning? Feel free to grab the elements. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it. And he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Let's eat together. And Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's partake of this cup in remembrance of his blood that was shed for us. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank You for the incredible cost, the suffering that was paid so that we could be reconciled to You. Lord, what a glorious truth. And Lord, You've called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And I pray, Lord, For those who are aware of brokenness in their relationship right now, Lord, that you would help them to put their offering at the altar and go. Lord, that they would initiate in humility, going and making things right. And Lord, we pray that you would go before them. And Lord, where there is true confession, where there's true humility, and true repentance. Lord, that there would be forgiveness and reconciliation. Lord, you said that they will know that we are your disciples by our love one for another. And my prayer is that you would sustain unity here at Ambassador Bible Fellowship. Lord, within our relationships, within our marriages, within our families. And Lord, it's all to bring you glory, to exalt your son Jesus And it just proclaims His ministry of reconciliation for which we're all grateful this morning. Amen.
0: At this time, we'd like to dismiss the elementary age kids, kindergarten through third grade. You can go ahead and line up there with Mr. Jackson. And the rest of you... If you could please stand with us as we continue to sing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
4: Well, good morning. Sang some of my favorite songs this morning, and you all sounded beautiful. I'm filling in for Thomas today, and so uh, you did not hope you did not mistake me for Thomas. Um, this morning, uh, you know, I when I'm asked to preach on short notice, it's always a question of what's pertinent, what's relevant to what's happening in the world today, you know, or what's happening with the body. I try to put my finger on the pulse and just say, gee, what would minister to you most? And and today I thought it would be helpful for us to look at the doctrine of total depravity. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's going to be uplifting for you, I'm sure. Um, I've entitled the message, Help, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up. Uh, The uh, man's depravity is so deep and so total that uh, our only way out of it is to be rescued by Christ. Uh, But what I thought I would do is take us to Psalm 53. You know, all we have to do is look at the headlines uh, this morning and we get an overwhelming dose of depressing news uh you know between the ongoing peaceful protests and the um just the crumbling of the fabric of society and and uh live birth abortions and i mean the list goes on and on and on war uh even locust plagues <laughs> have been hitting uh northern africa i mean it it just it's hard to read the headlines without getting discouraged. Human sin is everywhere. And, and we, we think to ourselves, how can people act so evilly? How can they be so evil? We just, it's hard for me to comprehend the evil that people commit. And then I read the scriptures and, and I hold it up like a mirror and I say, I, I don't have to travel too far because I can look inside my own heart and see the evil that resides there. The beauty of the scriptures is that there's always hope in the gospel of Christ. There's always hope. Uh, God has provided a way for mankind to escape from His desperate condition um, if He will but just, just reach out and grab hold of it by faith. The world is broken, and God is the one who broke it. Think about that for a minute. God broke it. And, and in this this blackness of society that we find ourselves in, this, this depraved world which almost seems like the book of Judges all over again, right? Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. It seems like we're adrift without leadership. Um, but in the same way that a, a diamond shines against a dark backdrop, the glory of the gospel is, is best understood against the depravity of mankind. We need to understand the depth of human depravity. We need to understand the bad news before we can arrive at the good news. And I sometimes think, uh, well, it's true. In many churches, we, we find that people seem to think that I wasn't such a bad person before and all I needed was a little help from Jesus to be a better person, right? That that they don't understand that their life is a train wreck without Christ. There is no hope of us ever being good enough to merit any kind of favor with God. Not even a little crumb is good enough to offer to God. And we need to, we need to arrive at that this morning. We need to understand that in order to appreciate the fullness of what God has done for us in Christ. So I invite you to turn to Psalm 53 and I'd like to read through it and then we'll, we'll talk about it this morning. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They're corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge, who eat up my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God? There they were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion! When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Uh, This is a psalm of King David written at some unidentifiable point during his uh, reign, uh, roughly about a thousand years before Christ. Uh, In Psalm 14, if you flip over there, you don't have to, but you'll notice that it's almost identical. Uh, The two Psalms are nearly identical. It's just that the the message of them is is the same in its its context, but the focus of them is slightly different. You'll notice verse 5 in particular is where it's been changed. And also you'll notice uh, that when it says God has looked down in verse 2, over in Psalm 14 it uses the divine name Yahweh. Over here it uses Elohim. Uh, so minor differences, uh, minor focus shifts, but uh, we'll talk about that and try to understand why that was done. But the reality is this psalm is, is very similar to Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3 and, uh, and following. And so from this text, what I want you to see essentially is four truths about the doctrine of depravity so that we will understand our need for God's deliverance, okay? Four truths about the doctrine of total depravity so that we will understand our need for God's deliverance. The first truth is this. Man's sin is personal. See that in verse 1. Man's sin is personal. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. Over in Psalm 14, it says they have committed uh, wicked deeds, I believe it says. Uh, but it's very similar in, uh, in what it says. So there is no God. The fool looks up at the heavens. He looks all around at creation, and he denies God. Uh, but the reason I say that man's sin is personal is because where does he make this claim? It's, it's in his heart, right? And, and by heart, we know that we're not talking about um, the blood-pumping organ. Uh, Bruce has been laboring this point for quite a while now. What we're talking about is his affections, his cravings, his desire, uh, his will. It's the mission control center of a man. In Hebrew, the word was lev or levavka, um, levav, Uh, It's the idea of the heart, the will, the desires, the affections, the cravings. And there is where man says, God doesn't exist. I can do what I want. So the reality of this psalm is that he's not necessarily denying the existence of a God. What he's saying is, the fool here is saying, I'm just not going to submit to his authority. I'm going to do what I want. Which makes his sin personal and one for which he is morally culpable. The term fool, Naval, carries the idea of uh, being relaxed or being powerless, um, incapable of doing anything to please God, both intellectually and Morally. So this, this Naval, he's a fool. And he's not that he's stupid. He's just foolish in that he denies God's authority over him. What we're really talking about here is, is what we would call a practical atheist, not a theoretical atheist. One writer said this, He who denies God contests not the existence of God, but the concrete activity of God. In other words, he's there. You can't deny it just by looking around, but I am not going to submit to his authority over my life. That's really the issue. It's a fool. He says they are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds or abominable injustice. So the lack of understanding on the part of the fool leads to behaviors consistent with the denial of any sort of authoritative judge. I am not going to submit to his rule over me. And the word corrupt is the word ruined or destroyed. His, his deeds are abominable. They're, they're morally reprehensible to God. It really calls to mind Isaiah 64, 6, right? All of his deeds are like filthy linens. Menstrual cloths, they're they're disgusting, they're they're ruined, they're destroyed, they're they're like a used, dirty garment. And he acts shamefully. The idea of abominable injustice is the idea of shameful. He acts shamefully. You really have to think Genesis 6 here, right? Right? Man's thoughts being only evil continually. And notice here, the writers shift away from the singular to the plural. He goes from the fool to they. You see that? They are corrupt. It's, it's a singular to a plural. So what he's saying is it's, it's including all fools now. Not just the fool, but in in grammar we would call that the collective use of the singular, the fool. Now he's talking about all fools. Everybody who doesn't believe in God. Everybody who doesn't submit to God fits into that camp. And as we go down the psalm, it's going to broaden to all of humanity. There is no one who does good. So David here gives his evaluation of the foolish. And in Hebrew, there's what's known as uh, what we call a, a particle of non-existence in there. And what does it mean? Well, it means there is not. There is not, is the idea. There is not one. You know, there is no one who does good. They don't exist. Expand it further to all of mankind. There is no one who does good. There is not a doer of good. And then when you get down to verse 3, he's going to repeat that and say, not a single one. Just for emphasis. So the psalmist's evaluation of the fool is this. That his, his personal... Rejection of God internally in his heart results in the commission of wicked and unjust deeds externally. So It's not simply the fool, but it's all of mankind, all of unregenerate mankind who are depraved because of the thoughts and intentions of their heart. They can't escape it. It's the result of the fall. You might want to write this down. The wicked are controlled by their hearts, whereas the righteous control their hearts through the power of the Spirit. And in God's saving grace, what does God do? He he takes these enemies of righteousness and He gives them a new heart, He regenerates them so that they might no longer crave the things of the world and the desires of the world, but that they would crave Him and desire Him. That's grace. And and the only thing that separates you and I as believers from the world is the grace of God intervening in your life. We would be held captive by our sin were it not for the mercy and intervention of God in your life. 2 Timothy 2, 22-26, right? We're being held captive by Satan to do his will. It's only the gospel that can change a sinner's affections and desires. We cannot self-reform. We cannot wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be a better person today. Right? There's an old saying, He who who seeks to keep the law breaks the law. Why? Because you've put yourself under law and you can't keep it. But the one who walks in the Spirit becomes a doer of the law. It's Interesting, huh? It's only by walking in the power of the Spirit that you can please God. But trying to keep the law in your flesh... You'll fail every time. It's only the gospel that can change a sinner's affections and desires. The gospel is the only thing that can change this society. We read the news and we see these people and, and society is not going to be changed by laws, rules, government, police. You can't make a law for every human behavior and not only that you can't enforce that law the only thing that's going to change society is regeneration of the human heart one at a time so the first truth about depravity that we see is that man's sin is personal because it originates within the heart it plays out in his deeds it results in corrupt thoughts and corrupt behaviors. And if that weren't enough, David goes on to say the second truth about depravity is that God's sight is perfect. Right? Man's sin is personal, God's sight is perfect. Look at verse 2. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if they, there are any who understand, who seek after God. So here's God up in the heavens. And the fool is looking down as if with a telescope looking up at the stars. He's looking up at the heavens saying, I don't think you exist, God. And God's looking down from the heavens and saying, there's nobody down there who understands. And he's he's evaluating mankind in verse 2, and he's looking for anybody who understands, who might seek after God. As I said, God here, uh, the name is Elohim, and uh, he's he's scrutinizing mankind. He's looking. He's hopeful. It, It reminds you of the story of Lot, right, when he was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, if you can find 50, I'll save the city. How about 40? How about 30? How about 10? <laughs> right? He gets all the way down. Hey, one. <laughs> if you could find one righteous person in this city. Right? Not such a good evaluation. The verb uh, he has looked down is the, is the verb in Hebrew, hishkif. And it's the idea of somebody... Bending out a window, looking out a window to see what's down there. So here's God in his holy sanctuary, leaning out the window, looking around through mankind, trying to find a single one who's, who's righteous, who's looking for him. And what's his evaluation? There's none. Not a single one. It kind of it kind of blows the seeker sensitive movement out of the water, huh? How many people are seeking for God? 0 Not until God takes the first step. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, you know, they call him the Prince of Preachers for a reason. The guy just had he had an amazing uh, use of language. But he says, Behold the eyes of omniscience, ransacking the globe and prying among every people and nation. He who is looking down knows the good, is quick to discern it, would be delighted to find it. But as he views all the unregenerate children of men... His search is fruitless for all the race of Adam. No unrenewed soul is other than an enemy to God and goodness. There's God ransacking the globe looking for one single righteous person. And survey says, zero. Nada. a. See, the, the truth here is that we might, we might compare ourselves to the rest of humanity, you know, in our own self-righteousness. We kind of look at other people and we say, well, next to them I don't look so bad, right? Or, or maybe here's Hitler over here, right? I'm not Hitler. Or, you know, I'm not Stalin. But that's not the point, is it? Comparative self-evaluation with other humans is, is not the point. The point is God's evaluation, looking down at mankind and what does he see? And when he sees you and me, it's not good. It's not good. Until he regenerates our heart. And even then, folks, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a daily battle with the old nature. Combat, daily. We've got to put on the armor every day to go into combat to fight ourselves. That old sin nature is still there. God is perfect in all of His attributes and we are polluted in all of ours. And this really the crux of the issue in our understanding of human depravity. See, our own estimation does not seem to be so terrible. This is, real, this is really what it boils down to. We don't think we're so bad. We just needed a little help. But it's all the difference in the world. To fall on the mercy of God and say, I'm helpless and hopeless to save myself. Right? The the sinner went up to the temple, and, and wasn't that his plea? Lord, save me, a wretched sinner. But then there's this other guy over here, right, who says he didn't come to make an appeal, he came to make an appearance. Right? I'm... I'm not such a bad guy. I pay my tithes. I help everybody out. I'm a good guy. Right? No. Which one went home justified? The sinner. Right? Because he recognized his need. He recognized the depth of his depravity, the darkness in his own heart. See, God searches our hearts, and His sight is perfect. There's nothing that escapes His gaze. Don't think for a minute you can hide from Him. You can, you can try to numb your conscience. You can medicate it. You can run from it, but you can't escape it. It's there, and it's constantly accusing us of our guilt. And God knows the guilt. His omniscience pierces to our very desires. Nothing escapes His gaze. Because of this, we all deserve judgment. But as some have said, we get what we don't deserve, which is mercy. We get mercy. We get divine grace. Now, does this leave any room for judging other people, for boasting about your own superiority? What a great person you are. This is why God hates pride. Why God opposes pride. Because it wasn't you. I don't have to go very far to see the wickedness in my own heart. I just don't. And so, does this doctrine resonate with me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does. There is no way, no way I would have ever chosen God. But praise God, He chose me. I'm grateful beyond words. I can't even express my gratitude to God. Man's sin is personal. God's sight is perfect. Our situation is perilous. Verses 3 to 6. It says, Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. As I said, the result of God's evaluation is not promising. Uh, the language here is, is like uh, a caravan going off a trail and getting lost in the desert. You see, the fool evaluates God and says he's, he's not going to submit to him. He's not there, you know, like playing hide-and-seek in the middle of a room where everybody sees you, right? God evaluates foolish mankind, and he says, on the other hand, there's none who understands who does good, So the last is, uh, the joke's on you, right? I have the last word. I'm doing the real evaluation. And I'm doing the only evaluation that really matters. And it says, every one of them has turned aside. The the word everyone is placed forward. And it's actually the word whole. Uh, The whole of them. This is what I said. It expands out. So I went from the fool to they to the whole of them now. So God is evaluating and he says the whole of them have become corrupt. It, so it's like some sort of solidarity, some sort of um, uh, coalescing, if you will. Uh, uh, it, mankind has pooled together in their rebellion against God. It's really a Psalm 2 kind of a thing. So man's depravity is universal. As a whole, mankind has turned aside from God and against God. And the word corrupt here, you see it in verse 1 and you see it here as well. But this is a different word. Uh, This word here means to become sour or rancid or putrefied. Like sour milk. How many of you love the smell of sour milk? It's good, isn't it? It's a it's a really rare word in the Old Testament. Aside from its use here, it's only used in one other place, and that's over in Job fifteen sixteen. And in both places, it contrasts moral purity and righteousness. It, it, it in a sense contrasts man with God. And the evaluation is mankind is totally putrefied, sour, corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. This is a really striking phrase in Hebrew. Uh, If you look at Hebrew poetry, the way they do things is they they do thought-for-thought comparisons, you know. But when you see a phrase repeated... It's to slow the reader down and get them to really think about it. So there's, there's actually, you know, I told you there was a particle in non-existence, right? Now there's two particles of non-existence. So there's, there's one up in verse 1 where the fool says there, there is no God, right? That's the same thing. There's one in verse 2, uh, or at the end of verse 1, there is no one who does good. Now there's two down here in verse 3 so in other words the way it would read is there is not a doer of good there is not a single one that's the literal read very striking in other words God evaluates his creation and responds hey how do I know if there's anybody good down there I've taken a look myself and I can't find any and by the way I'm omniscient right right I'm omniscient. I see everything. I know everything. We're, we're utterly and totally corrupt, sour, rancid, putrefied. And we're not as bad as we could be, but as far as earning any favor with God or seeking after Him or any kind of merit we're as bad off as we could be. It's, it's not a good situation. And considering this, this is why the Apostle Paul took these words from here in Psalm 14, and he compiled it with other things over in Romans uh, 3, uh, 10 through 18. And there, uh, these verses lead off a long litany of 14 specific crimes that man has uh, sinned against God. I guess that's the way to say it. Fourteen crimes against God that man has committed. And, and these lead off the bunch. And, and what Paul is doing over there in Romans 3 is he's, he's putting together a, a full indictment of mankind, both Jews and Gentiles, which is everybody, is under sin and guilt. and he's building a case that unregenerate men are totally depraved, they're incapable of doing anything to please God, because what he's getting to is that God had to be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. See, God provided the sacrifice and he provided uh, the way of escape From himself. You understand that? God is the righteous one. And he's the judge. And he provided the payment. As I said, the the good news, even Paul understood this. The good news in Romans 3 comes right after Romans chapters 1 through 3 of all the bad news. So the gospel is like this diamond against the bad news of human depravity. And the bottom line is this in Psalm 53. God's, God's holiness demands perfection, and all he can find is putrefaction. Here's Spurgeon again. He says this. Humanity, fallen and debased, is a desert without an oasis, a night without a star, a dunghill without a jewel, a hell without a bottom. (laughs) That's pretty good, huh? You get the picture. John Calvin says this, Men are overwhelmed with an inevitable calamity from which they can never emerge unless they are extricated by the mercy of God. I kind of envision this situation like you're out in the middle of the ocean. Your ship has gone down. You're floating out there, maybe treading water, even. You don't even have a flotation device. You've gone under twice. You're weakening. Go ahead and save yourself. How are you going to do it? The reality is you don't have a chance. You don't have a hope. You are done for. And then this cruise ship pulls up alongside you and rescues you. And that's God. And we're so dumb, the cruise ship pulls up next to us, and what do we do? We tell it to go away. We'll save ourselves, right? Listen... God had to come to us in Christ because there wasn't a single person who could do good. There wasn't a single person who could pay the debt from among mankind. So help had to come from the outside in, outside the stream of humanity. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. We needed a substitute, and the problem is you can't substitute something that's depraved with something that's depraved. It had to come from God Himself in the form of the Holy One of Israel. Who cares about time? As we continue into verses 4 to 6, we, we see this depravity of mankind played out in some sort of holy war or jihad, right? It's, the, it's now the wicked against the righteous. So those who have trusted God, who find their righteousness in God, are now the target of unregenerate mankind. And in verse 4, there's like this inner Trinitarian dialogue going on it 's like have the workers of wickedness no knowledge don 't don 't they even see what they 're doing it 's like they 're eating my people like they 're eating bread like like they 're totally callous they don't they don 't even under they don 't even give a second thought to it they just they just torment the righteous for no reason it 's not a reference to cannibalism. The wicked go after God's people in the same sort of calloused way as they would eat a common meal. You can look over it. I don't have time to go there, but Micah 3, 1 to 3 gives you the same language. And because of that, verse 5 says, there they were in great fear. Literally, there they feared a fear where there was nothing to fear. So their conscience... Is accusing them because of their rebellion against God and His people, and it says God scattered the bones of him. And this is where, this is where Psalm 14 and this psalm differ. God scattered the bones of them who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. What he's saying is. Um, He's saying the people of God do not need to fear because God is fighting for them. That, that the people that are in rebellion against God, that are, that are really fighting against them, they've chosen the wrong side and they're going to be put to shame for it. God fights. God protects His people. He fights on their behalf. That's what the psalmist is saying here. And the unregenerate really are dumb if they think they can take on God and win, right? You'd have to be a fool to think that. But they don't care. Rebellion fills their hearts so much, they don't care. They're just angry at God, and because of that, they want to hurt God in any way they can, so they go after people who claim the name of God. As I said... It's not going to be laws. It's not going to be prison. It's not going to be rehab that changes society. God's going to have to take those enemies, like the Apostle Paul, and change his heart. Right? And in an instant, it can happen. And it's, it's like John 3 says, the wind blows, and you see the effects of it, but we don't, we don't control it. We don't have any way of knowing. As much as I hate to say it, take a look at your children. They're not excluded from this evaluation. And no matter how well you do in your parenting, it still takes an act of God to change their unregenerate hearts. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that. Right? Right? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. (laughs) So we come to our fourth and final truth about depravity. We've seen so far that man's sin is personal. God's sight is perfect. Our situation is perilous. And the last truth, God's salvation, is preeminent. See, David understands that human depravity is so total, so complete, so pervasive, that it's just deliverance is going to have to come from the outside in. And since there's not a single uh, doer of good among humanity, it's not going to come from the human race. So David cries out, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. And he's, he's looking to God's heavenly court and he's saying, save us, Lord. Save us. And it's actually a question. It's kind of interesting. It's a, it's a Hebrew expression. It says, who will give out of Zion salvation to Israel? And, and because it's a, an idiom, idiomatic expression, we take it as a question. It's like, uh, it's an exclamation. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. That's the idea. It's a petition. When we pray to God, he's the only one that can deliver us. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only righteous one. Mankind has nowhere else to look for justice, nowhere else to look for merciful intervention, but God alone. God is the only one capable of doing something about our situation. So David here Is crying out that God would visit his people who are suffering at the hands of the wicked. So at this point, David is now viewing himself as as part of the righteous congregation of God's people. He's identifying with God. And does he still recognize he's a sinner? Absolutely. But he knows that now he's on God's team. We are desperate sinners who are incapable of saving ourselves. And so the only place we have to go is to God in Christ. Right? Christ is our deliverer. The word restore is actually the same word as repent in the Old Testament. So he's asking that God would come and, and turn things around. So the word shuv, in, in Hebrew, the idea of repentance is the idea of going one direction and, and turning around and going the other direction. It's a, it's a change in direction motivated by a change in heart. It's repentance. But it's, this, it's the same word being used here for restore. It's the same over in Psalm 23 where the Lord restores my soul, right? It's the same word. And that the good news is this. Deliverance has come, right? Somebody give me an amen. Deliverance has come. When we were hopeless, when we were helpless, when we were unable to save ourselves, deliverance has come in the form of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And guess what? Here we are in this pool of mess right now, and we're praying for what? Deliverance to come again, right? Now, what happens when Jesus Christ comes again? When you pray for Christ's return, what are you really praying for? Not just your own salvation, but that God will judge the wicked, right? That's what the tribulation is for. It's to judge the wickedness of mankind and to, to drive Israel back to God in repentance. Seven years of hell on earth. And we don't want to be here for that, do we? But what, the reality is that as we're being swept away in the rapture, Judgment is coming down at the same time. The wrath of God. So when, when we pray for God's deliverance, what we're really praying for as well is God's judgment upon the wicked. There's an old preacher. Uh, his name was R.G. Lee. And he had a sermon he preached over a thousand times. Uh, I have it on my computer, but it's called Payday Someday. Payday Someday. And he'd go places and people would say, preach that sermon again, preach that sermon, we want to hear it. And so uh, it was a story about... um, Oh, I just drew a blank. Now I can't tell you. (laughs) This is the... Depravity has affected not only my hair, but my... uh, my memory Uh, David's wife, the wicked one no, the wicked one why can't I think of her name hmm no wait Uh, did I say no, never mind I don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) never mind anyway, listen to the sermon You'll know what I'm talking about. So, you know, when I preach, my hope is that I would change your will. I mean, that's the bottom line of preaching, right? You come here not to feel good about yourself, but but my hope is you come here to think differently about God, to think differently about yourself and the world, and to relish and enjoy your salvation in Christ, right? To worship God for what He's done. And so... My hope is that you've come here today, that if you, if you have come here today thinking, I'm not such a bad guy, I'm not such a bad person, that you will adjust your thinking on this. Because as you do, as you adjust your thinking, you will relish or appreciate so much more what God has done for you. But if you think you had any part in saving yourself... You are depriving yourself of the, the glory of God's intervention in your life. The question becomes, why did he save us? I'm hopeful that you'll get to that next level question. Not just did he save me, was it him or me, but why did he save me? Because that's really the important thing about you being here. You and I were enemies of God, but mercy was shown to us. So the question is, will you be a conduit to this society of the mercy of God? Will you witness the gospel to Meridian, Idaho? Or will you turn your back on the unrighteous and close the door of the ark? Will you be satisfied with your own salvation or will you, will you ache to see others rescued from their sin in the backwash of human depravity? See, mercy has been shown to you. Will you now show it to others? To whom much has been given, much is required. So four truths about depravity from this passage. Man's sin is personal. God's sight is perfect. Man's situation is perilous. And God's salvation is preeminent. It's true. The world is a sinful place. It's getting... Seems like it's getting worse all the time. The fabric of society is crumbling. And I think I would despair every day were it not for my knowledge that God rules. Right? God reigns over this earth, and it's not some kind of eternal struggle between good and evil like yin and yang. It's God rules, and even evil is subjected to His power. Even human depravity is subject to His power. There is nobody who can run from Him. Nobody can thwart His will. Nobody can resist Him. He is all-powerful. And He has provided a stand-in, a substitute to take our place, to die the death that we rightly deserved. And we have been shown mercy, and it's only in the deliverance that God has provided in Christ, that we can escape the guilt and condemnation of total depravity. There is salvation in no one else, Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, and I would only add, or can be saved. I pray God would apply His all-sufficient Word to our hearts this morning that we might see others delivered from the snare of the evil one and that they would find eternal life and a way out of their depraved state. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to have the Scriptures reflect such a dark image of our own hearts. Lord, we know that your word is objective truth, that it's infallible, that it's inerrant. There's nothing in here that is uh, untrue. And Lord, uh, because of that, we see the depth of our own sin nature, our own depravity, and and all we can do is is thank you this morning and and to say thank you for your mercy and your grace that you poured out in our lives. Thank you for Christ who has redeemed us from ourselves and from our sin and from your wrath. Lord, please use us to be a conduit for the gospel to this society around us. Lord, we... And, and cause us to repent if there's a part of us that just complains about it all the time. Lord, we really can make a difference. And it's not by voting, but it's by preaching the gospel of Christ. It's, it's by seeing people discipled in the faith one at a time that we'll see change. Father, give us hope. Give us perseverance. Give us steadfastness in the truth of the gospel and, and help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and not our circumstances. Lord, we commit ourselves to you and, and pray that you would be glorified through us. In Christ's name, amen. Well,
0: praise the Lord. Please stand with us. And we're going to sing 10,000 Reasons... Have an opportunity to fellowship with one another today uh, at our picnic. I pray that you are encouraged and uh, to see the darkness of our depravity and to see that uh, that God has um, that He has saved us and what a great salvation that is. I'm going to read. A verse for us as we go. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You're dismissed.